Satan lied to you, didn't he? He does oftentimes to many people. He told you that if you'd give in to that temptation, it'd be fun. And if you'd give in, you'd feel better and no one would know. He didn't tell you about the guilt or the shame, the struggles or the bitterness that you would carry with you for months or maybe even years. But what if there was a way to be free from those things? What if you could do like the guy in the video and empty your bag of regrets? Here's what I want you to learn today. The one thing I want to try to focus us on is this. Your past doesn't have to be part of your future. God will forgive you. In fact, I want to take it a step further. Not only will God forgive you, but God wants to do something new in your life. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what it is that, that is in your past. God wants to do something new in your life. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not trying to downplay your past sins or failures. I am not saying that those things aren't that important. I I am not saying that those things aren't that big of a deal. But what I am saying is that the things that are in our past do not have to define our future. Those things that, that we look back on with shame and regret do not have to define our future. One of the greatest and most important promises in the Bible is this promise. The promise that God will forgive us. Because you see, that's a promise we all need, isn't it? That's a promise we all have to claim sometimes. That's a promise that applies to every person here. It is the promise, the first promise we're looking at in this new series. It's the promise that God will forgive us. You see, we've started a series, it started last week, called New Year's Promises, and we're looking at at four big promises that God has made to you and to me that we can claim in the year ahead. And the first promise focuses on those things that we wish we could redo or maybe undo. Uh, There are three Clemson football players that can tell you all about those kind of regrets. Uh, You probably know the story by by now, but last week when Clemson football players were in Florida preparing for the biggest game of their lives for the college football semifinal playoff game at the Orange Bowl. It was the biggest game of their lives. And three of those players got sent home prior to the game. I know what they allegedly did. We don't need to get into that. But they got sent home basically for breaking team rules. Now... Think about this. Last week, the biggest game of their careers, and I don't know if they got sent home in a bus or in in a plane, but they're being sent home from Florida, and they watched that game. If they watched it at all, they watched it on television, knowing they could have been there. And then, to make matters even worse, those guys were not just suspended for last week's game, they are suspended for tomorrow night's game as well. So let let that sink in for a moment. Tomorrow night when Clemson is playing for a national championship, those three guys will not be on the sidelines. Again, if they watch it at all, they will probably be watching it from a couch. And for two of those three guys, it was their last year. 
That's how they ended their football career. They probably would give just about anything for the chance to undo what they did. They probably know regrets that you and I can't imagine. If they could just redo or undo what they did, but they can't. They messed up big time. That kind of thing doesn't just happen to football players, by the way. As a pastor, I've had a lot of people over the years come to me and say, Pastor, I've messed up. And I've messed up big time. People have tried to warn me, but I wouldn't listen. People tried to help me, but I told them I was fine. I, I, Pastor, I don't know why I did it. I knew better. But now, my life is a mess. There's a group of people in the Bible that could relate to those sentiments. There's a group of people in the Bible who were in a miserable situation of their own making. The people we're going to read about today were in a miserable situation of their own making. The things that they regretted, the things that they struggled with, the issues that they had, were all because of their own failures. But the amazing thing we'll see about this story is that God wasn't focused on their past, He was focused on their future. Would you like to know today that God is focused more on your future than He is on your past? I want to go through this story with you. Would you find the Old Testament book of Isaiah? The Old Testament book of Isaiah. <clears throat> We're eventually going to get to chapter 43, but I want to start out in Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Let, while you're turning to that, let me give you the context before we read the text. The nation of Israel were known as God's people, but they stopped living like it a long time ago. I want you to notice how this book opens, beginning in verse 2. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. God is saying, I want everyone to hear this. I want everyone to, to hear what I'm about to declare. And then this is how he describes his people. He says in verse 3, or verse 2, I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Some of you perhaps have experienced that. You raised your child as best you knew how, but when they became teenagers, when they became in their early 20s, they rebelled against you. You know that heartache. You know, you know how that hurts. And God says, my people did that. My people did that to me. I, I've raised them up. I brought them up, and they have rebelled against me. Verse 3, the ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. In other words... Animals have more devotion than my people have to me. Then he says in verse 4, and it gets pretty picturesque or pretty uh, graphic, I might say, in verse 4. Ah, sinful nation. Talking about his people, he refers to them as a sinful nation. A people loaded with guilt. They, they don't just have some guilt, they're loaded with guilt. And then he calls them a brood of evildoers. And then he says they are children given to corruption. Then he describes them this way. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. I want you to notice three words that are just heartbreaking words as it relates to the Lord. Forsaken, spurned, and turned. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. 
Now don't miss this. God knew exactly what his people had done. He lists for us what his people had done. He knew exactly what they had been involved in. And the same is true for you. Every day and every deed of your life has passed before his eyes. He knows yesterday and he knows the secrets of years ago. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And God could make a list of your sins too if he wanted to. Just like he made a list for the children of Israel. But even though he has every reason to punish us. He offers to pardon us. After he described Israel as being people who forsake him and and people who turned against him. After he describes their sin, skip down to verse 18 and notice what he says to them. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are obedient, or if you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. Isn't it amazing that God knows the worst about you, but He wants the best for you? When He says in verse 1 through 4, here's here's my people, here's how bad they are, here's the way they've been living. But in verse 18 and 19, He says, I know the worst about you, but I want the best for you. So if you will come to me, and if you will come back to me, though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. God knows your past, but it doesn't disqualify you. God wants the best for you. But then God, in verse 20, offers this warning. In verse 20, He says, But if you resist and rebel... You will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, when you resist and rebel against God, you are heading for a disaster of your making, your own making. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's exactly what happened to God's people, the nation of Israel. In fact, if we'll fast forward this story, go to chapter 42. Skipping a lot, I know, but, but we're fast forwarding to chapter 42. I want you to see where they are in chapter 42. In chapter 1, they are in the promised land. In chapter 1, they are in Israel. <clears throat> in chapter 1, they're in the land that God has given them. But in chapter 42, they're in a different location. In chapter 42 we find out that God's people are no longer living in Israel. They had rebelled and sinned so greatly against the Lord that He removed them from the promised land. Just like He removed Adam and Eve after their sin from the Garden of Eden, God removed His people from the land He had given them. It was a land of plenty, a land of promise, but because of their sin and rebellion, He removed them from that land. And they lost everything that was dear to them. They were taken as captives to the land of Babylon. And when they moved to Babylon, I want you to think about how they lost everything that was dear to them. They lost their homes. They lost their jobs. They, they lost, some of them, their family members. They, they lost what, what income they had. They lost their temple. The temple that they used to worship at was, was destroyed, and they were taken away to the land of Babylon. They lost everything that was dear to them. And chapter 42, verses 24, explains why they lost it. Why did they lose all of this? Look in verse 24. Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we, we have sinned? 
where they would not follow His ways. They did not obey His law, so He poured out on them His burning anger, the violence of war. It enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, but they did not take it to heart. Babylon conquered Israel, not because their gods were stronger, but because God was punishing His people. Now you need to understand that and remember that. The people of Israel no doubt thought that this was the end of them. They're in Babylon. uh, They're in captivity. They probably thought, this is the end of us. We've gone too far. We've sinned too much. And then, that's where this story takes an unexpected turn. If you go to chapter 43, the next chapter, I want you to see how this chapter begins. Remember in 42, God says, the reason you are where you are is because of your own fault. You are in a miserable situation because of your own misdeeds. You got what you deserved. That's chapter 42. Chapter 43 says this, but now. Chapter 43, verse 1, but now. Now that you're living in this land of captivity. But now, now that you have experienced the loss of everything dear to you. But now, now that you understand that I was serious about your obedience. But now, now that you see what regret feels like. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob. He who formed you, O Israel. And here's what the Lord says. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are, what's that? Mine. Yes, you're in a mess. Yes, it is a mess of your own making. Yes, you have ruined your life. Yes, you have lost everything that was dear to you. Yes, you have walked away from me and turned your back on me. But God says, but I want you to know something. I have not turned away from you. I have not walked away from you. I have not disowned you. You are mine. Does that bless anybody? You are mine. That's when he goes on to say, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. You don't deserve it, but you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'm not going to turn my back on you. I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Probably these are references to the Old Testament stories of the people of Israel going through the Red Sea and going across the Jordan River and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being in the fire. And in every situation, God was with them. In every situation, God made the difference for them. And God says, listen, now, in the future, when you go through similar situations, I want you to know something. I'm going to be with you. Even though you've made a mess of things. And if that's, if that's where we stopped, we could say, praise the Lord, that's amazing. God is gracious and God is good. But the story gets even better. Skip down to verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Here's that phrase again. He who made a way through the sea 
a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. What does that sound like? What is that a, what is that a reference to? To the Red Sea, when God's people were on the edge of the Red Sea and they were about to go across, but there was no way to get across. They needed to go across. The army, Pharaoh's army, was coming against them. The army was behind them. The Red Sea was in front of them. Watch this, listen to this. They had no way to go forward. And when there was no way to go forward, God made a way forward. And now God is saying to his people in captivity in Babylon, I know it looks like you're going nowhere and there's no way to go forward. But I'm the one who always makes a way. So he says to them, here's where it gets amazing. Here's where it gets like, are you kidding me? Here's what God says. Verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Forget? I, I can't forget. That's why I'm here. It's because of the things in my past that I've messed up on. And that's why my life is so miserable. That's, I've ruined everything. I've lost everything. Why do you think God told them to stop dwelling on the past? I think He told them because it is so easy for all of us to do that, isn't it? To dwell on the past. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Looking back on your life, on your past, has become your hobby lingering on that moment, that one period of time where things could have been differently, been done differently. Things that you can't erase that now has made your life different permanently. And that nagging question that keeps playing on repeat in your head, what if? What if? You see, I believe I'm talking to some people today that some of you, you can't enjoy what's in front of you because of what's behind you. You can't fathom a better future because all you can remember is your failure. And the God of the universe says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now here's the extraordinary promise of forgiveness. I want you to listen carefully. Here's the promise of forgiveness. God wants to do something new in your life, even when you're in a miserable situation that you deserve. Listen to it again. Because some of you should have said an amen somewhere in there. God wants to do something new in your life, even when you are in a miserable situation that you deserve. You see, we need to understand that God is far more interested in our future than He is in our past. Some people think that God's stuck on the past, that maybe you feel like you've failed God so many times that you've run out of chances with Him. Perhaps you think that you've sinned it all away. You feel like you've got no future, you've sinned it all away. If that's you, you need to claim verse 19. See, I am doing a new thing. God is saying it's not over. I know your life is a mess. I know you're miserable. But I still have plans for you. And I'm about to do a new thing in your life. And you might be experiencing the consequences of your sin. And you may have to live through the consequences of your sin. God's not going to take the consequences away. You may have to live with that. But, 
It's not the end of your story. God still wants to do a new thing. Even if you're in a miserable situation of your own making. I have a book up here. It's a commentary. And it has something interesting on the spine. Uh, It says, volume one. Now, volume one implies that there's more than one volume. Correct? Volume one implies there's at least a volume two. In other words, there's a lot of stuff in this book. But this is not the whole story. This is volume one of the story. There's also volume two that adds to the story. And when God said to His people, I'm about to do a new thing, their volume one was not a very good story. Their volume one was a story of disobedience. Volume 1 was a story of turning their back on God. Volume 1 was a story of sometimes up, sometimes down. Sometimes up, sometimes down. Volume 1 was a story of walking away from God. Volume 1 was a story of losing everything that was dear to them. Volume 1 was not a very good story. And God says, I know you're in a mess of your own making. But I want to write another story. I want to write a volume 2. I'm about to do a new thing. We're going to close volume one and we're going to write volume two. You know the reason some of you are so miserable is because you have yet to put volume two or volume one on this shelf. You're still sitting there reading volume one, reliving volume one, regretting volume one, crying over volume one. Wishing you could get an undo or a redo. Because volume one is not a very good story. Maybe it started out good, but it didn't end good. And God says to you today, this is the promise of forgiveness. God says, I'm doing a new thing. Why don't you let me write volume two? Then he says something at the second half of that verse that is so interesting. He says, Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And the answer probably was, No. We don't see it. We're living in captivity. We're still living away from our homeland. We are still away from the temple. We're still away from our families. We are, we are still captives in Babylon. We don't see a new thing happening. When I studied that, it, it kind of caught me off guard at first. And because of the word now. Now, he says, it springs up. The word now seemed to imply that if God's going to do a new thing, I ought to be seeing it right now. But then I discovered that the Hebrew word for springs is a word that could be translated sprout. Now it will begin to sprout. Sprout implies that something is happening at first even if you don't see it. That something may be happening that you have yet to see. Uh, Let me explain to you this way. Uh, In our driveway or beside our driveway... The way our driveway is laid out, if you park more than one car, when we come out of the driveway, we, we cut that corner, and after a while, that, where we cut that corner, the grass became just dirt. 
And we just kept cutting the corner and the dirt kept getting kind of moved. And eventually that, that dirt became a hole. And, and with all the rain, guess what that hole became? Mud hole. Exactly. So I decided to do something about that. And I went and got a lot of dirt and I filled in that hole. And then I got some grass seed and I, man, I just covered that sucker up. I mean, I just covered, I just, it was grass seed everywhere. I, it was going to be thick grass. I just, I just covered it. Um, and then I said, but I knew it wouldn't, I knew it wouldn't be, you know, sprouting tomorrow or the next day. I knew it would take a little while, but I don't know exactly the time, the time frame, but I think it was probably nearly a week I kept looking at it and nothing was happening. I watched it every day. It was kind of the highlight of my day. Let's go out to the mud hole and look at the grass. But there was no grass. It was just seed on mud. And so I, I, I don't plant a lot of grass, so I didn't know what to do. And I, you know, I pray for it, but I just, <laughs> that's about all a preacher knows how to do, right? And so I, I, I decided, you know, well, maybe it's because it's kind of just laying there on the ground. There's nothing's happening. Maybe it's because it's laying on the ground. Maybe it needs to be in the dirt. So I thought, I'm going to go get some more dirt. And I got a, some more dirt. And I put a thin layer of dirt over the seed. thought that might help it. And then the rain started. And it rained. And, it, you know, it rained and it rained. And my mud became, or my, my dirt became mud again. It became a mud hole again. And it rained and rained and rained and rained. And I kept going over and looking at the mud. And that's all I had was mud. And I didn't see anything. And, but then one morning I came out. And I, the mud had a little bit of a green tint to it. And I walked over and I bent down. And a teeny, tiny, little bitty green sprouts started coming up out of the mud. And every day, I'd walk over and I'd look at that. And I'd see it getting a little higher. You see it getting greener and greener. And the grass getting taller and taller. And it looks great now. In fact, Jonathan said the other day, he said, Dad, that's the best part of our yard right there. This is the only green place in our yard. Is that little place right beside the driveway? I learned something from the grass seed. You know what I learned? I learned that uh, because you don't see it, it doesn't mean nothing's happening. Just because you don't see it, it doesn't mean it hasn't started growing. Just because you don't see it now, doesn't mean that God's not active now. God said to His people, now it springs up. It's starting to sprout. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert. and streams in the wasteland. That is, I'm making a way for you where there seems to be no way. You see, God wants something new in your life. And He can make a way where there seems to be no way for it to happen. And it might be for you that today it's time to stop reading volume 1. It's time to claim God's promise of forgiveness. It might be for you today, it's time for you to put volume 1 on the shelf. And with all of your heart, ask God to start writing volume 2. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? How do I go from volume one to volume two? Of course, it starts with repentance. John says, 
we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then I believe you need to take it another step. I think your responsibility is to walk in obedience to God. And His responsibility is to bring a new thing out of your obedience. And so I'd like to give you a prayer to pray. Today and every day in the future as you're dealing with this. Today and and in the days ahead, simply pray this prayer. God, would you do a new thing in my life? And then you start walking in obedience that day. And every day you just pray that prayer. God, do a new thing in my life. And that day you walk in obedience to Him. God, do a new thing in my life. And that day you walk in obedience to Him. God, do a new thing in my life. And that day you walk in obedience to Him. Your responsibility is to walk in obedience to Him, and His responsibility is to bring a new thing out of your obedience. I want you to bow your heads, because I want to read a scripture to you, but I want you to hear it, rather than just look at it. I want you to hear this scripture that God says in Psalm 103. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but part of it. Just listen to this, and especially if you need a new chapter, or a new book, new volume, Here's what God says in Psalm 103. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear him. God knows the worst about you, but he wants the best for you. And one of the greatest promises of the Bible is the promise that he will forgive you. So make this your prayer today. God, do a new thing in my life. And then you walk in obedience. And tomorrow you get up and pray it again. Do a new thing in my life. And tomorrow you walk in obedience. I can promise you this. God has not forgotten you. He has not given up on you. He has not turned His back on you. He says to you, as He said to His people, you are mine. I know you're in a mess. I know it's a mess of your own making. I know you're living in the consequences of that mess. But I also want you to know this. I love you, and you are mine. Would you claim His forgiveness today? Would you accept His forgiveness today? And would you ask Him to do something new in your life that only He can do? Help us, O God, to walk in obedience. And may you work in our life. May we see something begin to sprout in our hearts. May we see something begin to sprout in our life. We may not see it today and we may not see it this week. But may we begin to see things differently and see things change. May we begin to see that you are indeed writing a new volume. And Lord, I pray for those who continually get out volume one and relive the pain of the past.
May today they decide to trust in your grace and in your forgiveness. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.